4, 7 through 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Father, we thank you this morning that you are with us. We just confess again out loud, you are the most important person in this gathering. And Lord, we want to believe everything that we've sang and prayed already this morning. And we want to be able to say with our hearts through this time in our word, in your word, that is, that we truly are satisfied in you. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do the work only you can do through this word and just increase the satisfaction that we have in Jesus today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my wife could verify what I'm about to say, that whenever we go on a trip, we have to go out of town, is there's some things that I definitely remember. I remember the Spotify playlist, right? So we want to save money, so we want to make sure we have that Spotify playlist just right, and it's downloaded so that it's not using data. This is very important. But what I may not have ready is I might have forgot my toothbrush, and then I'm going to blame it on her like a grown-up 10-year-old would, right? I don't have a toothbrush. I've got a Spotify playlist, but not the toothbrush. Maybe not a coat, right? If it's not the appropriate time of the year to not have sleeves on. And so sometimes in my life I can have this, uh, particularly when it comes to travel, this sort of uh, mess up between what is a luxury and what is an essential. What's something that I really need to live on and then what's something that maybe is just an add-on. Now think when we think about this issue of friendship. If we're honest that often in our lives, in our world, and we're going to explore the reasons why this morning, friendship can be viewed as a luxury instead of an essential. Friendship can be viewed as something, well, that would be nice, but that's just not reality. You know, life in a fallen world, given who I am, my personality, my circumstances, my story, my availability, my capacities, you know, yeah, that would be nice, but it's just not something that I have. But I think as we look into Ecclesiastes, as we've looked this far without reviewing the whole book, if anything, this is a book that's keeping it real, right? To sound like a, a lame old man, right? It's keeping it real, right? This book is saying, we're not going to hide from the hard realities in the world. This is a broken, fallen world where it looks like right when we're just about to get some sort of peace and some sort of fulfillment, it's like the wind and it just slips through. It's a world where things are not the way they were supposed to be. It's a world under the curse of sin. And in such a world we're seeing here, friendship is important. So in our lives, something I've wrestled with, it's like, man, I really want to pour that energy into like getting close to someone or even maybe taking the first steps in a relationship. And, 
and then it just kind of be over? If we're honest also, this is a part of our culture, right? So we, we're, we're not down on America, right, when we talk about stuff like this. But in our American culture, right, we really prize this rugged individualism, right? The Marlboro Man, right? We sing Desperado. And when we're saying to Desperado, you better come to your senses, there's a part of us that likes Desperado too, right? Like, we're saying, like, this guy better let, you better let somebody love you before it's too late. But then we, we kind of, like, glamorize that, don't we? Of this lone person, right, out in the distance, the silhouette of the cowboy on the horse, riding off with no commitments, nobody to answer to. This is our world. This is our culture, right? We think a person who can make it on their own, now that's really somebody who's strong. why so many of us, though, have tried that path, but if we're honest, and the Spirit's here to help us be honest through the Word, because that's not really all it's cracked up to be. It's why so many people are hiding, they're holding out on who they really are. It's why so many of us have maybe a lot of friends, but they're more like just Facebook friends. They're like the surface level, right? You only know what I let you know about me. And I have this cultivated image of who I am, but it's not really who I am. And so all of the relationship really doesn't satisfy me deeply because I'm living this fear that if you really knew me, you would not love me, you would not like me, and I would not belong. So as we think about friendship this morning, we're thinking about gospel friendship. And one person defined it this way. He said, Biblical friendship exists when two or more people are bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ. They pursue Him and His kingdom, these are two important words, with intentionality and vulnerability. So a biblical friendship, Jesus is the center, but this is pursued both with intentionality and vulnerability. He says, rather than serving as an end in itself, biblical friendship primarily serves to bring glory to Christ who brought us into friendship with the Father. It is indispensable to the work of the Gospel in the earth. I believe as Ecclesiastes 4 is saying, an essential element, an essential element of what God created us for. Hobbies and interests change. Stages and seasons of life shift. Friendship then needs to be grounded in something far more stable and enduring than these. Friendship that is truly biblical must therefore begin with friendship in Christ. Augustine, or Augustine, whichever way you prefer to pronounce his name, attests to this, praying, there can be no true friendship unless those who cling to each other are welded together by you, that is God, in that love which is spread throughout our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. So biblical friendship must be centered on Christ, mediated by His sacrificial death on the cross. A friendship built on anything less, whether short-lived social demographics or digital interactions, cannot bear the same fruit, survive the same test, or deliver the same satisfaction. And I read a long quote there, but I think that's they're important words. A lot of what we want to flesh out this morning, as we think about our church, this is the big distinction for our church. So we're not a church with an anti-vision. So we're not a church plant that's saying, hey, we want to plant a church so we're not like another church. 
We're a church with actually a vision. And a big part of our vision at the core of it that does make us somewhat distinct is that we are relationally driven. So we live or die on the fact that we want to to be all about relationships more than programs, more than strategies, more than promotions. Now we're not against those things. We don't think those things are bad. But the heart of who we are really is just this message. We want to be a church that we really have real gospel friendships. And like Jesus did, we go out into the world with these gospel friendships and we want to call new friends to the table. We always want to have another open seat at our tables of friendships where we say, if you're lonely, if you feel lost, if you feel alone, there's room for you here before you have it together. If you feel estranged from the world, if you felt estranged from the church, if you're broken, if you're burnt out, if you're bored, we believe that there is a friend in Jesus who is everything that you need. And in believing this is a church, then we must be called this morning to see that gospel friendship is essential for gospel faithfulness. There is no gospel faithfulness, I believe the Bible teaches this, without gospel friendship. How does God's Word lead us to this conclusion from this text so we could go many places? The first thing is here is because a busy, productive life full of gaining possessions, gaining successes without friendship really is futile. It really is nothing in the end. This is what verses 7 and 8 are saying. Again, I saw this vanity, this, this hevel, this, this fleeting, futile, falling fallen reality under the sun that one person basically gains all these riches, works really hard, and just misses the point. They never ask themselves, who is this for? What was all this for? Why did I work myself to the bone? Why did I get up, clock in, clock out, do all this stuff, even gain all this stuff, and didn't have anybody really to share my life with? Success is never enough. I don't know the full, full story, and I'm not a golf expert by any matter. I'm the guy who goes to play golf, and my friends don't want to let me borrow their clubs because they're afraid I'll sling it into the lake. So I'm not claiming any expertise here. But supposedly this dude who won the Masters this year, there's this story that he's like, his relationship with his family and all of his friends are like just all super estranged. So it was like, I don't get to go celebrate with them. I won the famed green jacket. But I've really got nobody to go home and have a celebratory meal with. Success then, as he says, without relationship, true friendship is vanity and an unhappy business in the verse 8. Another person said, it's like the man who was in the nicest restaurant and he was sitting in that restaurant and he's thinking, I could buy, I could pay for everyone in here's meal, but nobody wants to have a meal with me. I could, I could cover everybody in here, but nobody wants to come sit down and eat with me. That is not a successful life. That's not a desperado, romantic vision of the rugged, lone individual. According to the Word of God, that is vanity and an unhappy business. And our culture is filled with more production, promotion, and posing than actual true friendship. 
And this is why probably in the most connected time in the history of our world that we are the most con- can be the most connected with other people, that studies, statistics, and our own reality show people are not less lonely than they've been before. But maybe more lonely, feel more distant, feel less known, less loved, and less belonging. I'm going to apologetically share this story again. I'll share it many more times because it haunts me. Of this pastor that, that I met, and some of you heard this, and their church planted and grew into the thousands into a number of years. He was spending all of this time with, his, with people, with friends, as they produced and got all of this stuff done. And by any measure, that's successful, right? If you're that church, if you're that person, not only are you successful, everyone wants to learn from you. Everyone thinks you have it all together. Well, through a moral failing in his life, he lost his position at the church. And guess what he had at the end of it? He said he had nobody. That all of those people that he felt like he was going to war with and was in the trenches with, that when life got messy, he was by himself. And out of that came this phrase that we want to just say again and again. Intensity does not equal intimacy. Just because you're doing stuff with people does not mean you're intimate with people. We could also say, to take this in another direction, proximity doesn't equal intimacy. You can sit on the same pew, or if in our case, in the same chair beside someone for decades. And we've all seen it if we've been in traditional church settings. For decades, and you don't have a deep friendship with them. We can attend one another's weddings, one another's baby showers. We can attend one another's children's sports games. We can be in proximity to one another and not really be friends. There is a massive difference between being friendly being a friend. May it never be said of us, oh, that church is so friendly, if we're not willing then to be friends. We know this is true for those of us in here who are married. We need to heed this warning from God's Word that just because you live in the same house together, share the same name together don't mean that automatically means we have a good close relationship I've sat aside on the other side of a desk or chair too many times with people who are like I don't know this person and they don't know me we must give friendship priority in our relationship over our work. So let's, before I go into that, let's let you take a breath here and think out loud a second. What, what is it that we do give priority over our relationships, our friendships, in any of these areas? A long time? Is a long time bad? No, right? Let's make sure we say that right. Uh, Side note, right? Somebody's defined sin this way for us recently. It's either exaggeration or diminishment. So a lot of times sin doesn't come out of a bad thing. It's usually a good thing that we either exaggerate or diminish, right? So a long time's good, but we exaggerate it, don't we? And we say, ah, 
I have to have, have it all the time, or we can diminish it. And then it's like, okay, I go out from this sermon and I feel guilty if I'm not with people all the time. So don't do that. Hannah, sorry, to, that's a good, good thing to say. To, I'm just trying to make sure that you don't feel guilty if you have it. Okay. <laughs> all right, what else do we give priority over relationships? That's good, our own me time. What? Work? Good. Got a lot to get done. If I don't get it done, nobody else is going to get it done. It's still going to be there waiting on me tomorrow. So, again, be nice, but luxury. Yeah, success and trying to be the best. I'll have friends later. I'll have friends later. Ministry. Yes. Such a big one. Such a big one. Yeah, that's a, that can be another tricky one, right? All these are tricky. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. It's, Ecclesiastes is less like, I'm going to give you nice little answers, nice little tight, tight bow. It's more like saying, but let's, let's not use that as an excuse to just say, I quit. Let's lean into the tension and let's follow Jesus. But all these things show us we live in a world where this is a battle, right? Friendship is not easy. True friendship. I was reading a, you know, when you really want to do some deep reading and use your time wisely, you don't just read somebody's Facebook post, but then you read all the comments. Man, that's a great use of time. But anyway, as I was doing that the other day as a good steward of my time, uh, somebody had put a meme, and it was very interesting, but basically the response to it was, yeah, I just can't handle talking on the phone with people anymore. What's, up? What's the deal with people who actually call people? And then it went on and it, and it kept talking. And I can resonate with this, so if that's you, don't, don't feel bad. I resonate with that too. Uh, it went on and it was, it was, I don't know that whoever was doing this was realizing it. And this was why I was reading it, by the way, because it was very, it basically got down to where it's like, yeah, I'm just not really comfortable being with people. You know, if we could just interact on a digital interface all the time, I would feel so much better. And actually, one of the people said, I'm not lying, I think I screenshotted this, but I'm not going to post it. It wasn't any of you, by the way. Uh, <laughs> or it was basically like, yeah, I kind of get, she said, I kind of get like a panic attack when my phone starts ringing. And again, no, no judgment, no condemnation on that. But at the same time, we're kind of being dehumanized a little if we, don't, if we don't take notice of this. Social media can actually help our relationships when they are relationships, right? It's not a bad thing. It's just if that's the only thing, if we're not careful, we won't know how to sit down, look some, a human person in the eye, have a conversation, and our souls will be the lesser. So verses 9 through 12 point us to why. Not only is gospel friendship essential to gospel faithfulness because productivity, success, and life without it is vanity. It's chasing the wind, but also because life is better with friendship. So it's not a negative statement. It's a positive statement. But it's a big statement. So notice at the beginning, beginning of verse 9. Two are better than one. 
Let's not just gloss over that. That's a big statement in our culture. Two are better than one. Why is that such a, a could be such a controversial, culturally subversive statement? That's great. That's where we're going next. Let's just go there. So this is a big statement, but Lawrence, we need to realize, guess what? In a perfect creation before the fall, when God said it's all very good, there was only one thing He said is not good. For man to be alone. And we know this goes beyond just marriage, so don't just think marriage here, because we're down here threefold cord later on. So we're not talking, it includes that, but it's more than that, right? So this is, this is so much bigger. But before the fall, it was two or better than one. Before the fall, two or better than one. And let's push it even back even more. Before creation, two or better than one. The God we serve is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We could say God is a friendship. The very character of God is relationship. Relationship is not something like, man, wouldn't it have been nice if I could just like have my own planet where nobody gets in my way. Now, like Lauren was pointing out here, that's, that's coming from somewhere that's not from God. And yet it challenges us. It doesn't just challenge the world's way of thinking, but the church's and this... It really this southern spirituality where we sing these songs, you know, me and God, and me and Jesus got this whole thing figured out. You know, all these sounds that are just sort of like, I don't need people, and I definitely don't need that church. Right? All I need is me and Jesus. Right? I just walk around in my vertical tube here, you know, or it's me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. And I'm sympathetic to that. Because we can be hurt so bad by other people. That stuff didn't happen normally just because somebody said one day, I want life to be all about me. That happens because somebody's been hurt. Zach Esplan responds to this in a sympathetic way. Those of us hurt by the dark sides of community. He was a pastor who, who ended up going through a divorce, so that's kind of some background to him. He says, those of us hurt by the dark sides of community are tempted to choose folly as a response. In arrogance, we resist the counsel of Scripture that two are better than one. We go alone and we declare that we don't need anyone. But this response hurts us as much as the wound that we have no desire to repeat. I'm going to read that again. This response to say, I don't want to get hurt, so I'm not going to get close to anybody. It says, this wound hurts us as much as the wound 
This response hurts us as much as the wound we have no desire to repeat. So we need grace to recognize the wheat from the weeds. Part of this grace identifies neighbors given to us by God who bring us news of the one true shepherd amid the strife under the sun. For this reason, Jesus taught us to pray. And to pray, Our Father, give us. Forgive us. Lead us not. And deliver us. Even in Jesus, the very nature of what prayer looks like and kingdom life looks like is an us reality. Not to sound too technical, but God is a relational reality and He has created us in His image as relational beings. So this is what the rest of these verses are saying here. In verse, the end of chapter, verse 9, our production is getter. Two, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their tool. We can get more done together. And you're like, I don't know about that, right? We've got resistances to all these. I think I can get more done by myself. Other people slow me down. But only if you limit your life to smaller things. Could you move the piano by yourself? Yeah, you probably could. But it's going to be harder. Jason says no, he's had to do that recently. It's going to be harder, it's going to take longer, and it's probably going to cost more. We're protected together. Verse 10, if one falls, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. There's protection. Again, we resist that. No, it makes me more, more vulnerable. The closer I get to someone, the easier it's going to be for them to stab me in the back. But can we really protect ourselves? Are we really designed to protect ourselves? Could there be protection in this gospel friendship? There's perseverance, verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So in the ancient Near East, right? No heaters, right? We're always in here trying to regulate the temperature, and it's hard. They didn't have that issue. So a cold night, it's good to have somebody close. help keep us alive. They help keep us persevering. They keep us going on the journey. Also, a gospel friendship helps us prevail. Verse 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We have so many enemies. If we're honest, some days we, we just don't have it in us. We don't have the fight in us anymore. We're vulnerable. We're weak. We're like those scary uh, BBC Planet Earth videos, right? The wolves are chasing the antelope or whatever it is, and you know how they kill the one, right? What do they have to do? Isolate, right? Just go watch the video if you want a sobering reality of this. They isolate it. If they can just get one to break off, it's isolated, it gets tired, and it has nobody to defend it. In the Bible, we see this great story of, of Moses holding his staff up. And as he holds his staff up, victory comes to the people of Israel in the battle. But anytime his staff falls down, the enemy starts to gain ground. 
But he's got his two buddies here, his brothers, as it were, in the faith, or sisters for you ladies. And they come, Aaron and her, and they, they hold his hand up. As they hold his hand up, victory is given. Why did God do that? First off, who knows the mind of God in every way? But God was giving this picture that the way that He has designed His people to have victory and advance in the world is not through just being this rugged, isolated, lone leader, master of my own destiny. Depend on one. If anything, what we see in these verses is that biblical maturity, biblical wisdom is not independence, but healthy dependence on God and on others. And that's just scary for some of us. Because of our stories, because of the trust issues we have, it's scary to trust people. It's hard. So we must deal with our, our final thing here this morning. The heart of where we come every week is gospel friendship is not just essential for gospel faithfulness because all your productivity without anybody to share with is meaningless. Also, not only because of the fact that two are better than one in so many ways, but because friendship with Jesus is what provides the foundation, the fuel, the power for gospel friendship. So if we don't get this, if we leave right now, I'm just afraid we go home with more law. We go home with more emptiness. We go home even with more discouragement in the end. Because guess what? If you say, I'm going to go out today and I'm going to give myself to friendships, then guess what? You might still get stabbed in the back. You might still get lied about. You might still get let down. How about not you might? People are going to let you down. And you're going to let people down. But we have a true friend. The one that sticks closer than a brother. The one who resisted the call to say, I'm just going to do stuff without relationships. The one who shows us the heart of God. The one who came not merely as our Lord, but as our friend. Chris, if you quick click through here. There's so many other places we could go. One more. John 15, 12 through 17. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here's the pattern I'm giving you. Then he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is amazing. Jesus said, I did not come to just make you my servant. I've come to make you my friend. Servant would have been good enough, right? But he said, I actually want us to be friends. And then he shows us what kind of friend he is. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but a friend does. I want to actually let you into my life. I want to share me with you. He humbly initiates a relationship with us 
And are we easy to be friends with? You talk about getting stabbed in the back. Judas, right? The, we say, oh, that person's a Judas. Jesus had the real Judas. And he had the Peter, right? Who was, well, I'm your friend, but when things get tough, I hope you can handle it on your own. Bible's not giving us some superficial vision and friendship here. Well, we go, I'll go home and cross-stitch these verses on a dolly and put a teapot on This is real stuff. Right? I mean, this is, this is Jesus saying this right there to these disciples who are all going to abandon So he says, greater love has no man than this than he lays down his life for his friend. Gospel friendship is not friendship without sacrifice. Gospel friendship is not friendship without pain. Gospel friendship is not friendship with those having to bear the cost of what it means to love someone. Whether that be in your everyday friendships, your marriages, your workplace, and we need to know this especially as a church. Because what Jesus did for us is that He said, I want you to be my friend. And what that's going to mean is I'm going to have to take on all of your sin on me. And I'm going to have to bear the judgment for that sin. That is how much I'm committed to be your friend. And then I'm going to rise from the grave and I'm going to say, whoa, glad that job's done with so I don't have to spend time with those people anymore. No, now we read in God's Word that He lives to make intercession for us. And he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. So we say all the time, he doesn't just love you, he likes you, he's not just made you his servant, he's made you his friend. And all the mess that involves. He's the one that looks at Peter, who deserted him, and who abandoned him, and he restores him. Jesus has to be at the center of a gospel friendship. If He's not, then you're going to put too much on that other person. And too much on yourself. If you don't know the friendship of Jesus, you will not have the power for both the delights and the difficulties of a true, faithful friendship. If I have to be perfect, then this friendship will not last because I can't be. There's going to be days when I should be able to get up and do what i got to do to be your friend, and I'm just going to say, I'm too tired, I can't do it. And it's going to hurt you. And if I can't fail you, then we can't. it's just not going to, friendship's not going to last. Because I'm going to. Also, if I need you to be the perfect friend, then our friendship will last. Because you're just going to drop the ball some days. If I need you or any other person to fill my love tank, if you've heard that language before, then all I did is made you into God. Because only God can satisfy the restless desires of my soul. But if two people being filled with the fullness of Christ can say, we're going to have a relationship with one another 
and neither one of us is going to be a dissenter, but Jesus is, then when you fail me, I can forgive you. And then we can go laugh. You can fail me. I can fail you. Because we have the friend who never fails. Jesus' friendship then can be the pattern to where we initiate. Friendship takes initiation. Many people don't have friends because they're waiting for someone else to come and initiate. We have to initiate. And more than once. Praise God, Jesus just didn't give it one trial with me. He has to reinitiate our relationship many times. And he will probably be doing that this week through his sovereign ways by the Spirit saying, Remember me? <laughs> I want to be friends with you. <laughs> You're too busy for me. Jesus opens up his life. I've said this before. One of the best ways that I can love my wife is not just asking her about her day, but telling her about mine. I don't like to do that. But friends not only listen, they open up. They share what's going on inside of them. And all of this involves in sacrifice. It's hard to forgive people a thousand times. But true friends are going to have to do it a million times. You really let people know you. It's hard to keep initiating. It's hard to keep opening up. It's hard to keep loving. But greater love has no man than this than one lay down his life. Sandra McCracken, we sing a lot of her songs. She shares a story of two young boys in Missouri who spent their summer playing by some sandbag levees that held back the extreme flooding that took place in this area. So it's tragically, the two boys found themselves in some quicksand resulting in a breach in the levee. When rescue workers finally found them and came to them, they only found the younger boys standing in the quicksand. They said, where's your brother? He said, I'm standing on his shoulders. It was just a beautiful picture of the love of Jesus for us. And just to think, these two brothers picturing that love, that one of them would say, only one of us will not make it through. This, more beautiful is the love of Christ, and more beautiful is the friendship that, not more beautiful, as beautiful, because that's pretty beautiful, is is that this is why the world can look in at us if they see us loving each other like this over the long haul and say, no, those are Jesus' disciples. We know that by their love. They don't just share a Sunday morning event. They share life together, even after the news wore off. They share life together, even though, man, they really hurt one another's feelings. Can you believe they made it through that season? And it wasn't just about the tasks they were accomplishing. It wasn't just about the ministry that had to be done. They became friends. That's gospel faithfulness. It will take gospel faithfulness. Father,